I'm Katie Dutton, and today on Remember Reading, we're going to West Texas. We'll head up a beauty pageant, do some Dolly Parton fan folking, and talk drag and self-love through the lens of one of our all-time favorite characters, Miss Willadine Dixon, the plus-size heroine of Julie Murphy's 2015 breakout book, Dumplin'. I always sort of had this idea for this fat girl out in West Texas. It's very much inspired by a collection of photographs, actually, by Richard Avedon called Into the American West. But it was this girl and her aunt, and they were both plus-sized. I just wondered about them. I wondered about their relationship. I wondered if they were the only plus-sized people in their family. After her first book, Side Effects May Vary, sold in 2014, author Julie Murphy set to work on her second novel, but, like many authors, she found the right sophomore story hard to come by. She attempted idea after idea, but as each kind of stalled, that Avedon photo kept calling out to her. I think every author has this book in their head that they feel like they're never going to be ready to write. And Dumplin' was definitely that book for me. I finally was just like, well, maybe it's time to write the book you're not ready to write. Maybe it's time to do the scary thing. I asked Julie what was holding her back. I knew that if I wrote a book, I didn't want the the main challenge for the main character to lose weight. I still personally struggled with a lot of that in my own life as far as my own value and feeling satisfied with the person and the body that I had in that moment. And so that's really why I felt like I wasn't ready. But being more aware of those ideas around that time and starting to apply those in my own life really helped kind of spur me there. And, you know, to be honest, writing Dumplin' was sort of like taking the highway there, if that makes sense. It sort of really forced me to embrace a lot of the ideas that I had envied for so long in other people, seeing other people really embrace themselves and embrace their bodies. And I felt like I couldn't write that book unless I was ready to do that myself. Julie may not have felt ready when she took on the story that would eventually become Dumplin', but readers were certainly ready for the book. I remember when the deal announcement came out. Like, I remember seeing the deal announcement at Publishers Weekly and feeling like a a shock go over my body of being like, ah, like, I can't believe this book is going to exist. That's Angie Manfredi, youth librarian, speaker, and editor of The Other F Word, a celebration of the fat and fierce, an essay collection for young adults. So what excited her about the publishing announcement? They use the word fat. At the time, even that felt particularly transgressive, that it talked about a beauty pageant and that Julie Murphy's full face was in it, that it was clear she was a fat person writing a story about a fat person. I remember that feeling of like how different that felt. I got into fat acceptance through my study of disability justice and disability rights movements. A thing that they often say in the disability rights movement, it's not exclusive to them, but it's really connected tightly to them, is nothing about us without us. I knew by page three that it had been written by a fat person because there's details like that you can't fake in it. One of those moments for Angie occurs early in the book. It is the way that Willow Dean originally thinks about Millie. And, and that she thinks, I may be fat, but I'm not as fat as her. And like, it's okay to be fat as long as you're not that fat. Millie is that girl, the one I'm ashamed to admit that I've spent my whole life looking at and thinking, things could be worse. I'm fat, 
But Millie's the type of fat that requires elastic waist pants because they don't make pants with buttons and zippers in her size. Her eyes are too close together, and her nose pinches up at the end. She wears shirts with puppies and kittens, and that in an ironic way. That's a real moment of ugliness that Willow Dean is allowed to have, and it's so real. And the fact that Julia is not afraid to put that out right away about Willow Dean, she doesn't spend all this time saying Willow Dean is going to be the nice fatty, the good fatty. Again, the author Julie Murphy. It's a fatphobic thought. It's riddled with actual self-hate, you know? And so I think that that was really important when I was writing this book to me was giving her flaws, like real human flaws that she'll never get over because we all have human flaws we'll never get over, but also human flaws that she can use as like real growth opportunities. And, you know, in the end, she becomes pretty close friends with that fat girl who she looks at and kind of rolls her eyes at and is a little bit disgusted by. And I think that's why people are drawn to Willow Dean and drawn to Millie because they're about learning to say, I'm going to free myself from thinking hurtful thoughts. Other people are going to think hurtful thoughts about me, but how am I going to free myself from that? Current discussions of representation interrogate how people are depicted and how depictions impact readers, especially young readers. I asked both my guests if there were fat characters that inspired them when they were young. I remember reading books like, you know, Jillian Jiggs and Sweet Valley High and Babysitter's Club and wanting to like aspire to be those people, but I could never find myself in those books. I think I remember the most connection I ever felt in Babysitter's Club was with Stacy because she was diabetic. And in my childhood head, I was like, oh, well, I think that diabetes is a thing that only fat people have. So Stacy's probably a little chubby. And so maybe I'm a Stacy. I still love Sweet Valley High. I still love Goosebumps. I still love all those like iconic childhood books from when I was a kid. But the thing that chubby little Julie needed to feel empowered and confident wasn't in those books. My entire goal in life was I wanted to be Catherine in Wuthering Heights. I wanted to be a very delicate British girl who would faint on the moors and stuff. Like I wanted to be a very delicate, small waif that I would be like, uh, the, I, I cannot go on another spring. It has been too much. And I don't even know if I knew how damaging that was at the time. I don't even think I could con- entirely contextualize that. I never saw myself as the lead. I always saw myself as the funny sidekick. And I think, again, that's a thing about Dumpling because it was saying, no, I'm going to be the lead. I'm going to be the main character in this book and everything that goes with it. And Willow Dean is a complex and nuanced main character, contending with the same things that most teenagers deal with. Tensions with their mom, bullies at school, insecurity about her body, friendships on shaky ground, and importantly, romance. There's a love story that runs through the heart of this book. It starts with a flirtation between Willow Dean and Handsome Bo, the cook at the Greasy Spoon where she works. Why did Julie feel that Bo was important to the story? There's this misconception that in order for you to be worthy of love, you have to first love yourself. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I definitely don't. But I also don't think that you are somehow unworthy of love if you are struggling or incapable of showing yourself that same love. I mean, for me, I was married 
And in a long-term relationship, by the time I discovered fat positivity and body positivity and that I wanted this to be something that I applied in my life. And so it felt really natural to write a love story for Willa Dean, for her to see a real love and affection for her looked like and to illustrate that almost as an example for her to then follow for herself. The ending of that book it could go either way. Like, I think that it's just as satisfying if they end up together and it's just as satisfying if they don't. But Willow Dean grows so much in the course of this book that it would be it would be just as good either way. It would just be a different type of story. Bo isn't Willow Dean's only option. She also has an admirer and budding friendship with a nice guy named Mitch Lewis. Mitch is sort of like the really sweet, other chubby guy, the big guy on the football team, always like, you know, the reliable one. He is the type of person who you would assume that Willa Dean would fall in love with. And I think that there's this misconception that fat people can only love other fat people and straight-sized people can't fall in love with fat people and vice versa. Julie wanted to disrupt that misconception. So Willa Dean chooses Bo in this round. But the Dumplin' fan base will always include a team Mitch. He's very loosely based off my husband, so my husband was very, very offended. <laughs> she didn't choose Mitch. How could she not choose Mitch? Mitch is the guy who's like never late on his bills and is like, <laughs> he's always going to be there for you for the rest of your days. And I was like, well, Bo can be that guy too. Willow Dean has a difficult relationship with her mother, Rosie, former Miss Teen Bluebonnet. Clinging to her glory days, Rosie is head of the pageant committee and the official pageant hostess. She has a punitive relationship with her own body, one that often spills over onto Willow Dean. The last few days of school mark the start of pageant prep season, which means my mom is on a diet. And when my mom is on a diet, so is everyone else, which means dinner is grilled chicken salad. Rosie is every well-meaning person I've ever met who said, I'm concerned for your health. I'm talking to you about this because I love you. My mother is not a Rosie Dixon. But I did grow up with a lot of friends who had this sort of relationship with their mother where the whole relationship was built on this mother's desire for their child to somehow shed this weight so that they could be like the thin person within but it was also really important for me to show that Rosie was a human being too. Her concern, I don't want to say it came from a good place, but it always came from a place of love and uncertainty of what to do with this daughter that she had. And also it came from a place of hating her own body, regardless of its size, and always being uncertain of herself and her place in life. As the book opens, Willadine's grieving the loss of her Aunt Lucy, a woman who always made Willadine feel safe, seen, and respected, a woman who was vice president of the regional Dolly Parton fan club, and a woman who was fat. I had an aunt a lot like Lucy, and she was, you know, life-changing for me. She was one of the first plus-size adults that I knew. She was married to this, like, skinny string bean of a guy named Joe. And just seeing their love and seeing that not every love story looked like the ones that I saw on TV or in Disney cartoons had a very early and important impact on me. That photo from that Richard Avedon collection, it always started with Lucy. Again, youth librarian Angie Manfredi. 
Willow Dean has all this going on. Making new friends. Oh, I was wrong about that person. Oh, new boy. Oh, I like this one. I like this one. Oh, my mom. The stuff with my mom. The memory of her relationship with her aunt. The stuff that's going on with literally just her classmates, kids that are just like her acquaintances. So all of that, again, is about granting the fullness of a person's life. The fullness that a fat character gets to have all that and isn't defined solely by their one fat friend, the one fat thing, the one fat feeling, the one fat relationship. It's not just that. Should that be revolutionary? Well, gosh, I wish it weren't, but it was then and to some degree it still is now. In a pivotal scene in the story, Willadine's mom, Rosie, has boxed up Lucy's things and plans to turn Lucy's room into a sewing room for the pageant. A move that feels like blasphemy to Willowdean, who misses Lucy and resents everything the pageant stands for. But as Willowdean is going through Lucy's things, she finds an old half-filled-out pageant registration form with Lucy's name on it. As much as she hates the pageant, Willowdean can't help but think, what a poignant statement she'd make if she and her plus-size body signed up. Willowdean and a cohort of outcasts that includes Millie, from that early scene, all register for the pageant. Vive la revolution, Willowdean's best friend Ellen says. Throughout the story, which includes a big fight with Ellen, Willowdean turns to Dolly Parton for comfort and to connect with her memories of Aunt Lucy. Oh gosh, what does Dolly mean to Willowdean? What does Dolly mean to Julie Murphy? <laughs> I knew I wanted to give Willowdean an obsession that would sort of add a few more layers, a little more depth to her character, and wanted to give her an obsession that I knew that I could easily fall into myself. I loved her from a very young age, so it was really easy to pass on my love for Dolly Parton and manifest that in Willow Dean. Here, Willow Dean describes to Bo, a Dolly skeptic, what she loves about the singer-slash-actress-slash-icon. She's the kind of person who looks like she's never had a bad day. I guess she's sort of my guru. Like, her music is good, I guess. But it's her that makes it good. With her big hair and fake boobs, I've never seen anyone who's living the life they set out to live like she does. He studies me, but doesn't say anything. It's like every day is Halloween for her. Mention his costume flickers in my memory. But for Dolly, it's not dress-up or make-believe. It's her life. And it's exactly how she chose for it to be. Dolly Parton's always in on the joke. She knows what joke you're going to make about her before you do, and so she just makes it about herself. And then she makes money off of it. You know, like, it's genius in many ways. That was something I really related to because growing up, like, the word fat was always weaponized against me. And I had this light bulb moment, you know, a few years before writing Dumplin' where I just decided, like, it's just a word. The only thing that gives the word any power is me and my fear of it. And so why don't I just use this simple description word to describe myself and my body? Because I have a fat body. There's nothing wrong with being a fat person. The word fat can be neutral. And so I think that it's something that feels so in tune with Dolly Parton and all of her Dolly Partonisms is to just call something what it is. So it just seemed like this perfect kismet that this like small town fat girl would be obsessed with this woman who was very deliberate about her body and very deliberate about the way she presented herself to the world and really admire that 
and find ways to apply that in her own life. The pageantry of Dolly Parton moves people. The same is true of Willowdean's pageantry as resistance. Even the process of becoming a diva heals and transforms Willowdean, in part because she seeks help from some Dolly impersonators at her Aunt Lucy's favorite drag club, connecting with some of Lucy's dearest friends. I grew up in drag culture. I grew up going to gay bars from a very young age, long before I should have been allowed to go to gay bars. I remember seeing my first drag queen and just being enamored and thinking like, I want to be able to walk out on a stage or walk out even in my everyday life and feel that empowered. It almost feels more seamless to include drag in any of my books than it does even Dolly. Like, it's just part of who I am and my upbringing. And, you know, I, I love I love drag. I love drag community. I love what drag stands for. I really respect it as an art form. So it's, it's getting to dress up as someone else and also that someone else is a reflection of your interior self. It's this great meta, but also very fun and irreverent thing. Body positivity and fat positivity aren't all self-acceptance and affirmations. They're theoretical frameworks that borrow tenets from the theories of liberation that other marginalized communities have used, including queer communities. Angie is the editor of a collection of essays on fat positivity and body positivity for young adults called The Other F Word, a celebration of the fat and fierce. In pulling the collection together, she sought out work from contributors who often find themselves at intersecting marginalizations. Because so often the image of fatness in popular culture is a size 12 uh, cishet white woman who was trying to get pants to go to yoga and get a boyfriend, right? So the goal with the anthology was to move what our perceptions of fatness were away from that because the fat community that I know and the fat community that I have been embraced by is made up of Black, Indigenous people of color. It's made up of queers. It's made up of radicals and agitators and disabled people. And the fat acceptance movement that gave me power and gave me strength was made up of people from marginalized communities and super fats and people who were invested in performance and people who were invested in public performance and in creating the image of self. Across communities, this idea of a public-facing identity, something like a performance, sometimes can be a useful step in the journey of loving one's body and claiming the space one takes up in the world. And I don't think it's a coincidence that like Dumpling has so much of that pageantry element to it because it's not just about saying I'm here and I'm fat. It's saying I'm here and I'm fat and I'm gonna participate in a space that asks me to put myself on display. And I think that those are inherently connected. And to me, that was really important. Again, because we wanna make as many teens as possible feel as welcome and as seen as possible. That's the goal, that's the goal. The essay collection that Angie edited came out from Amulet Books in 2019. The title, The Other F Word, was born out of a conversation that Angie had with a group of skinny teenagers. The first time I heard teens calling each other fat, they were these tiny skinny girls. I heard them calling each other fat and I went over there and I said, you know, you're not fat, I'm fat. And they were like, oh, no. Oh, and I was like, sure, it's just the way I look. It's fine to say that. It jolted them as if I had come up to them and cursed in their face. You know, we made this book for fat teenagers because the one guiding vision with it is we want to make a roadmap for you, 
okay? We want to save all the time and money and energy and tears that you would put in hating your body and trying to change your body and being mad at your body. And oh my gosh, you could power the sun. You could change the world. We want to save you the time that we wasted. And in the end, you're going to get to your destination and we're going to be here waiting for you. And we're going to tell you it's okay. One of Angie's contributors was none other than Julie Murphy. With Julie's, one of the things I talked to her about was, I I love the way that I've heard you talk about Ursula uh, from Little Mermaid. And I'm wondering if you'd be interested in expanding on that. Because to go back all the way to the beginning of our conversation, there's so little in our popular culture for fat people that is not hateful or lies or shameful. And Ursula is something, again, when you talk about when fat people talk about things and thin people talk about things. Fat people, Ursula is a queen to us, just like she is to a lot of queer people because as you probably know, she was inspired by the drag queen Divine. So to a lot of queer people, as well as queer fat people, Ursula is a huge icon. And Julie was like, yes, I want to run with that. Yes, I feel that exactly. And so her piece is not just to look at embracing Ursula as an icon, but also even the term revenge body and like what it means to like take your body for yourself. And it's super good and it far surpassed anything I dreamed of when I asked her to write it. While performance and pageantry can be a site of liberation, for Willow Dean, putting her body on stage is really hard, especially during the swimsuit portion of the competition, where she has to pretend she doesn't feel ashamed of her cellulite. Maybe it's because I can't see the audience. Or maybe it's because no one is yelling for me to get off the stage, but my thighs survived their moment in the spotlight. I don't scurry away like I did that day at the pool. No one boos. The world doesn't end. The audience doesn't go blind. There's something about swimsuits that make you think you've got to earn the right to wear them. And that's wrong. Really, the criteria is simple. Do you have a body? Put a swimsuit on it. This wisdom has become something of a takeaway for this book. Julie wants to add a corollary, one that emphasizes action to stop bias and exclusion that harms people who are fat. All bodies are bikini bodies. All bodies are good bodies. All bodies are deserving of love. But all bodies are just deserving of like the exact same things that everyone else is deserving of. Whether it's fat bias in the medical community, whether it's getting on an airplane and being worried that we're going to like comfortably fit into the seat and that our seatmate isn't going to complain and get us kicked off the airplane, you know, like just being able to access things in the same way that our thin counterparts are able to. I love all of my family at Harper, but I finally had to have a conversation and explain to them like, we need to be more thoughtful about how we book my travel accommodations because I'm a fat person and I'm not treated the same way as other people are on airplanes. And so it was this thing of like, if we want to sell and you know promote my books about fat characters, we have to do something to accommodate me as a fat person and my body. That's why self-love is so important. And that's why the idea of all bodies are good bodies or all bodies are bikini bodies is so important is because you have to see yourself as like an all bodies. You have to see yourself as just a human body that is worth advocating for. Angie, in her role as a youth librarian, has presented this book to many groups of young people. And while she reminds us that fat people are not a monolith, and this book won't speak to every teenager, 
She's seen it spark important conversations. You know, I remember the first time I book talked Dumpling to a group of teenagers. So they hadn't read it, you know, it was a brand new book. But I remember holding it up and telling the story about it and, and being like, and she's fat. And there's like a moment of it goes through them like a shock when you say it out loud, right? And then afterwards, we have all the books out and all the kids are, we're all kind of milling around. And I can see like a group of girls like gathered around Dumpling. And I remember a girl like pointing to the little tiny Willow Dean on the cover, right? And I remember a girl pointing to it and said, I think she looks okay. And I said, I think she does too. Oh my gosh. But it's liberating to be able to say that. You might not think you're fat. You might, who knows? Who knows, right? Who, it's none of my business. But the ability to say, I think she looks okay. Me too. Me too. Some of the most moving responses I get are from young readers, of course, but also from the parents or guardians of young readers who have also read alongside the children in their lives and really kind of began to second guess how they were treating the children in their lives and how they were not only treating those children, but how they were talking about their own bodies in front of their children. I think we as adults don't realize how much kids internalize everything we say. One of the most moving resolutions of the book is between Willowdean and her mom. At the pageant, Willowdean goes into Rosie's dressing room and finds her struggling to fit into the same dress she wore the year she won, back when she was a teenager. The same dress she's worn every year to announce the winner. Her mom, Willowdean tells the reader, is about to start sobbing. No, I tell her. No, no crying. You are not fitting into this dress, okay? It's not going to happen, she whimpers. But that doesn't mean we can't make it look like you do. I grab two giant alligator clamps that I've seen the tech guys wearing on their shorts, kind of like hairdressers with their hair clips. They use them for oddball stuff, like holding back wires or keeping wood together while it's being glued. Listen, Mom, you can't turn around up there, okay? You gotta stay in one place. She nods. I slide a clamp behind her strapless bra and tuck the dress beneath it. I do the same with the other side. Her breathing eases for a moment as she notices the difference in the mirror. See? It looks fine. So much of adolescence and teenhood is being told that there's a way, right? Like, you feel like there's a way. I can get it. I can get, I can be better. I can fix it. I can avoid the hurt and the pain. And what I think is so, so resonant about Willow Dean and why people are drawn to it, to her story and to to the universe is because at the end... Dumpling is a story about it's a mess and it's okay. Like you don't still fit in the same dress, but I'm going to hold it back for you and we're going to we're going to go and be in the spotlight together. Dumplin is the first in a series of 3 books about Clover City, Texas, the town where Willowdean lives. In the second book, put in, Mitch Lewis and Millie Mitchellchuck get a thing going. The third book, Pumpkin, coming this month, May of 2021, stars Waylon Russell Brewer a fat, openly gay boy whose plans to move to Austin and live his truth are derailed just as he is simultaneously cruelly nominated for prom queen. But with his friend Hannah, he decides to make it a race and leave high school with a very glittery bang. In true Julie Murphy style, Waylon will learn that the best plan for tomorrow is living for today, especially with the help of some fellow queens. Kids are bombarded with media telling them, explicitly or implicitly, whom society deems beautiful and deserving of love, 
and whom it does not. And as Dumplin' and Julie's other Clover City books show us, high school is full of pitfalls, heartache, friendship fails, bullies, and family stress. But the right book at the right time can provide kids with models of self-love that can guide them through pain to a place where they have at least enough peace to see their own self-worth glimmering all around them if only they are bold enough to step up and embody it. Tell us what you think on Twitter at ReadingPod. That's R-E-A-D-I-N-G-P-O-D. Or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Your review could end up in our next newsletter, along with quotes, trivia, and updates about new episodes, which you can sign up for by visiting rememberreading.com. This episode of Remember Reading is produced by my colleagues at HarperCollins, Nellie Kurtzman, Colleen O'Connell, Vishali Nayak, Nicole Wills, Lauren Levite, Shannon Cox, and Alessandra Balser. And special thanks to Podfly for their production support. I'm Katie Dutton. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.